Our Old Testament scripture reading this morning is from Jeremiah 51, verses 1 through 10. And then our New Testament reading will continue on in Revelation, reading chapter 18. So let's hear the word of the Lord as we find it in the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 51, the first 10 verses. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon, against those who dwell in Leb Kemai, a destroying wind. And I will send winnowers to Babylon, who shall winnow her and empty her land. For in the day of doom they shall be against her all around. Against her let the archer bend his bow, and lift himself up against her in his armor. Do not spare her young men, utterly destroy all her army. Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans, and those thrust through in her streets. For Israel is forsaken, or excuse me, Israel is not forsaken, nor Judah, by his God, the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. Flee from the midst of Babylon, and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations are deranged. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us go, everyone to his own country. For her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. The Lord has revealed our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. Now, as I read chapter 18 of Revelation, you'll notice there are a lot of similarities there with Jeremiah 51 as we read of the uh, fall of Babylon, the harlot. Revelation 18, again, let's hear the word of the Lord. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works, in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and am no widow, and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. 
And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and the bodies and souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you. And you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these kings who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that, is, was, that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas! that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The light of the lamp shall not shine in you any more. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you any more. For your merchants were great men of the earth. By, for by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank You for Your Word, a Word that is true, a Word that never fails. Use it this day in our hearts and lives. Draw us close, Lord, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we uh, continue on in this uh, morning in the uh, sixth vision of the apocalypse of our Lord Jesus Christ. We began it last time with chapter 17. And what we are witnessing here is the wrath of God upon the enemies of His people. And it's in reverse order of how they were introduced previously. You remember the introduction began in chapter 12 with the introduction of the dragon. And then in chapter 13, we had the beast out of the sea, the beast out of the earth, which is the false prophet. We also had the harlot Babylon. And finally, we had uh, those who have the mark of the beast. And as we work our way back through this list, we have witnessed so far the wrath of God in His punishment on those who have the mark of the beast. That was in chapters 15 and 16. And now in this sixth vision, in chapters 17 through 19, we come to the wrath of God on the beast, upon the false prophet, and upon the harlot Babylon. Chapter 17 that we looked at last time kind of gave us an introduction of what is coming. And now as we come to chapter 18, we see the details of the fall of Babylon the harlot. 
When we get to chapter 19, we're going to have the details of the fall of the beast and the false prophet in, in the last part of that. But let me explain again that the beast and the false prophet and Babylon the heart, they are pictures, they are word pictures, signs of anti-Christian governments, of uh, anti-Christian persecution, of the anti-Christian seductions and temptations of this world. And they all join together to try to seduce and destroy the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. But as we learned last time in chapter 17, right at the end there, the beast, we were told, will eventually turn on the harlot and destroy her as well. Because ultimately, the world always destroys itself. It cannot sustain itself. And that's why I chose actually this Old Testament passage of Jeremiah 15 to kind of go along with our text this morning. Because Babylon is not just one of the great and terrible kingdoms of the earth from long ago. It is a picture, it is a sign of all the wicked kingdoms of this world that have tried to lure God's people away from the truth. I mean, I could have picked a lot of other passages in the Old Testament that speak of God's judgment on Babylon. But, But I chose this one because you'll notice it speaks of God pouring out His wrath on the wicked as He comes to rescue His people. And He calls His people to come out from the midst of Babylon so that they may save their life, so that they may not be cut off in her iniquity. And obviously this Old Testament passage fits very well with our text here in Revelation 18. And what we need to learn is that the world is not our friend to lead us, to bring us to God. The world is our enemy that seeks to destroy us. It is as the hymn writer Isaac Watts put it, Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend of grace to help me on to God? And obviously the answer to that last question is no. The world's not our friend. And we have many foes to face. And we are called to stand and stem the flood. Because the world is not our friend. We're not to go along with the world. We covered this on a Wednesday night recently with a a brief look at Psalm 73. And and we we look at the world around us. uh, And and what do we see? We see the prosperity of the wicked and and we begin to wonder, just like the psalmist, don't we? uh, If there's really any benefit to following the Lord. I mean, shouldn't we be the ones who are blessed? I mean, doesn't happiness... And blessing follow those who are holy, who are seeking after the Lord? And doesn't misery and bitterness follow those who are sinful? I mean, is there, real no, is there really no advantage to the self-denial that you and I are called to in Christ? Can mammon, money, really be worshipped? Can fleshly lusts really be gratified and unrighteousness practiced without any thought of punishment, without displeasing the Lord whose law is really being trampled underfoot and whose glory is being turned into shame by those who do so? You and I, we might find this hard to grasp, right? But only if we forget God's Word. Only if we don't open the book of God's revelation to us. If we only look with the eyes of sight, the eyes of our flesh, then we will find ourselves greatly troubled by the circumstances around us. But when we come into the house of God, when we come to the Word of God, to the truth of God, to the promises of God, then we find that reality, that reality that is ours in Christ, 
is not affected at all by the temporal appearances, the temporal circumstances of this world. We find that what we have in Christ is so much greater, so much more glorious that the world cannot hold a candle to it. Let them have it all. It is the only heaven that they will ever know. But let us cling to the salvation that is ours in Christ. For the life for us in this world, this is the only hell we will ever know. And the bottom line for us is found in that first and last verse of Psalm 73. The first verse says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. And the last verse, verse 28, says, But it is good for me to draw near to God. Keep that in mind as we we work our way through this sixth vision. God is good to you. And it is good for you to draw near to God. And the good that is promised you in His Word is eternal good. So my theme this morning will be the announcement of the fall of Babylon brings weeping and the end of Babylon. And we're going to look at those three things. The fall, the weeping, and the end as we find it here in chapter 18. So let's move on to chapter 18 where we see the fall of Babylon to begin with. And you'll notice it begins with an announcement by the angel. I want to read verses 1 and 2 again. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. You'll notice how this announcement comes And it's announced as if it had already happened. That's what we see here in this vision. And, well, of course, there is a sense in which Babylon has fallen. That is, the literal city of Babylon fell to the Medes and Persians in 539 B.C. But remember, Babylon is also a symbol of the harlot that seduces the world and tries to seduce believers. And so the announcement of the fall really speaks of the certainty of the fall of Babylon. It is so certain to happen that it is spoken of in this vision as if it's already occurred. And you'll also notice how the language there of verse 2, it speaks of it being under the curse. It has fallen and the curse of God is upon it as if it's in hell itself. But why does Babylon fall? Why does God bring Babylon to an end? That's what we're told in verse 3. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. The whole world, mankind as a whole, kings and their nations have all gone after the harlot. Enticed by her seductions, by her immorality, by her sinful pleasures. The merchants here, they represent those of this world who really set their hearts on the things of this world and they've enriched themselves with the things of this world and by the world. But notice what comes next. Notice what's next in verse 4. 
I mean, we've already seen the, the wickedness of the harlot Babylon and the, of the beast back in chapter 17. And, and now we're introduced to the announcement of Babylon's fall. But we also hear this warning. A warning voice from heaven given to God's people, given to God's people of all ages. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. This call to Babylon, to leave Babylon, is a call that is actually repeated throughout the Scriptures by the prophets. You can find it in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Zechariah. Uh, let me give you one from Isaiah. Isaiah 48, verse 20. Go forth from Babylon. Flee from the Chaldeans. With a voice of singing, declare, proclaim this. Utter it to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. And then one from Zechariah 2.7. Up Zion! Escape you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. So the point here is to show us that we should not take Babylon literally as just an ancient city of the past, but it makes it clear that Babylon is the world, the center of seduction in any age. And therefore, to depart from Babylon means that we are not to have fellowship with her, with her sins. We're not to be ensnared by her temptations. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. Because you see, those who set their hearts on the world will also receive her plagues, her judgment as well. It is as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's not possible. Or as we read in the book of James, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? To be a friend of this world makes you an enemy of God. And so the world and God cannot both be your friend. Now it is true that sometimes it may seem to us like you know God has forgotten the sins of the harlot Babylon. And of course that is the way that the world thinks. The world thinks that because they are not punished immediately for their sin, that they are getting away with it. But that will not be the case at all. Uh, we saw this previously in chapter 16 where it speaks of the judgment on Babylon. And then we heard the truth about sin and about the wickedness of this world. Uh, chapter 16, verse 19. Now that great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of His wrath. In the day of God's wrath, it will be very evident, quite evident, that God has not forgotten the sins of this world or her abominations and immorality. And the voice continues uh, in verse 5 of our text. That's, it, it, it confirms this whole idea here. For her sins have reached to heaven... And God has remembered her iniquities. Now in verse 6, this voice uh, continues to speak from heaven. And we have a phrase here I, I think needs to be explained. I, I needed to understand this better myself. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. There are a couple other places in the Old Testament that uses uh, this same phrase or one like it uh, of sinners paying double for their sins. 
Uh, one is found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 2. As God announces salvation and, and forgiveness to His people, He says, Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare has, is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Another is found in Jeremiah 16, 18. And first I will repay double for their iniquity and their sin because they have defiled my land. They have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable idols. So, so what does it mean? I, I mean, I've always been a little puzzled by this. Why would God require sinners to pay double for their sins? Where's the justice in that? I mean, have you ever wondered about that? Well, the answer is that the, the word double doesn't mean that, that Babylon or Jerusalem receive twice as much punishment as they deserve. No, not at all. What it means is that they receive the exact punishment they deserve and all of it. Remember, God's punishments, God's judgments, they're always perfect. The, the crime, uh, the punishment always fits the crime, the sin. Uh, the punishment, though, is dub the double of the sin, meaning it's the exact counterpart of the sin. The suffering and the wrath that Babylon receives is the exact equivalent that she deserves for her pride and her arrogance, for her sin and immorality. The, the, the punishment is exactly what she deserves. And that, of course, is made clear in the next verse, verse 7 of uh, Revelation chapter 18. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. So I think the best way to kind of look at this is just think of it as a pair of scales. That on one side you have the sin and the wickedness of Babylon, and on the other side, perfectly balancing the scales, you have the exact double of her sins and the punishment and the wrath of God that she deserves for her sins. And here's the kicker, verse 8. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The long, restrained wrath of God, the, the pent-up fury of God's judgments against sin, that the world thought would never come, comes suddenly and unexpectedly in all of its fullness and all of its finality in one day. Judgment and wrath and death and mourning and famine will bring her ruin suddenly and quickly. Because the Lord God whom she opposed, it says here, is strong and mighty. He's the sovereign Lord. And the day that the world thought would never come does come, and before they even know what is happening, the wrath of God is poured out in all of its fullness, and it is over. Just like that, it's done. And we've heard that several times already. We hear, heard it at the end of the third vision in chapter eleven, fifteen. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever. It's all over suddenly. Uh, we had it at the end of the fifth vision in, in chapter 16, verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. The end of this world is coming. And when it does, it will be the great 
and terrible day of the Lord. It'll be that day when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. It will come with great finality, and it will be proclaimed for all to hear, it is done. Now, people of God, it's, it's clear once again that not only that God will punish this world and all who are in rebellion against Him, but also that He will do so in such a way that is just and holy and righteous and good. The world system, the, the nations who know not God, those who persecuted His church will get exactly what they deserve from the hand of God. It will be just, as the psalmist puts it in Psalm uh, chapter 9, verse 17, the, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. They, they will not get away with their sin. And, and they will not be punished more than their sin deserves. But they will be punished all that their sin deserves. So, so let's remind us here, uh, just by thinking about that very thought, Let's, be, let's remember just how vile sin is. Not just the sin of the world, but how vile our sin is. Our sin is. And let's remember what it costs for us to be saved from our sin. Sin is an affront to the holiness and majesty of God. Sin cannot exist in the presence of God unpunished. It must be and it will be brought to the throne of God's justice and it will be justly punished. And the only way that you and I can survive that great and terrible day of the Lord is by the blood of Christ. Because our sin must be under the blood. Meaning that our Lord Jesus has paid the penalty for us in our place. So now that the wrath that you and I deserved, it was poured out upon our Savior on the cross. And you and I, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are now saved from the wrath to come. It is as the Apostle puts it so well in 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we are celebrating today around the table of our Lord. And so, beloved, if that is the case, if you are in Christ, if you're trusting only in Him to save you from the wrath that you justly deserve, there's only one other question I have for you. How then are you to live? The salvation that is ours in Christ doesn't allow us just to live any way that we want in this world. We're not to follow the ways of this world because this world's headed for destruction. It's passing away. As we heard this morning, though, in verse 4 of our text, we are called to separate ourselves from the world. We can't go out of the world, but we're to separate ourselves from the world. And the voice of God Himself says, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. And this is not the only place where we hear these words, as we've already seen. But let me give you one more from the New Testament, from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you 
are the temple of the living God. And why does God say this? Why does He tell us to separate ourselves from this world? As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be My people. That's the covenant relationship that is ours in Christ. And therefore He says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be My sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And what's the bottom line? How should this truth, how should this command affect us? How we live? How, what are we supposed to do? Well, the Apostle goes on in the first verse of chapter 7, therefore, which shows that it connects to what's been said, therefore, having these promises, beloved, beloved, promises of salvation in Christ, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's our calling. That's how we're supposed to live as we wait for the return of Christ in all of His glory and power. We're to be seeking to be more and more like Him, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Think about this. Why did Christ die? What was His purpose? To bring us to God. To purchase nearness to God. And how do we draw near to God today as we wait for that day to come when He comes for us? We draw near through the means of grace. Through the preaching of the Word. Through the celebration of the sacraments. Through prayer. And we do so so that we might live in holiness for Him today. We need the means of grace. We need to give ourselves to the means of grace. We need to seek after the Lord. We need to draw near to Him because He promises that He will draw near to us. Well, we now come to the, the next section of chapter 18 where we see the weeping that goes on with the destruction of Babylon. This weeping is seen in the kings of the earth, the merchants of the earth, uh, the shipmasters and sailors of the sea uh, in verses 9 through 20. And really, if you think about this, if you kind of think ahead a little bit, this is a contrast. Here we have weeping, right? But it's a contrast to what we see in the next chapter where we will see the rejoicing of God's people at the wedding feast of the Lamb. These people weep, but God's people will rejoice. But let's work our way here through the rest of chapter 18 for now. The, the weeping begins with the kings, uh, the mighty men of influence and power on the earth, verses 9 and 10. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, excuse me, <clears throat> saying, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that great city, for in one hour your judgment has come. So these who are, are those who have followed the ways of the harlot Babylon. They have yielded to her temptations. They've enjoyed her luxuries. And now they weep at the suddenness of her destruction. Next are the merchants who weep because no one buys their merchandise anymore. As it says in verse 11. And what follows is a list of all the products that they have sold. Notice, and you'll notice that none of these things really have any lasting value. And they are the best that this world has to offer. The best of its riches, of its food and drink, the best of its world's goods. But it's all destined to perish. 
I would also point out that the phrase uh, bodies and souls of men doesn't refer to eternal souls. The word souls often could be translated lives. So it's the body and lives of men and women, of boys and girls in this world. And there can be no doubt that those who take part in the abominations, the fornications, the luxuries of the harlot are destined to perish with her. And just to give you one example, just think of all those who have made themselves rich, who have satisfied their perversions in the the wicked and sinful and devastating sin of just sexual trafficking in this world. God's going to punish them all. They will not get away with their sin. Now, essentially, the, the, the merchants here, they did anything and everything to enrich themselves in this way. There really were no limits uh, to their sinful desires to exploit everything for their own gain. But it all come to nothing. It will all be brought to judgment. It will all fun, fall under the wrath of God. It's no different with the shipmasters or sailors either. The, the sea, remember, as we've seen in the past, it's a picture of the world's economic system, its commerce and its trade. And we've already seen examples of this with the second trumpet, with the second and third bowls of God's wrath, and even with the two witnesses, remember, who, who turned the sea or the waters to blood. It, it wrecks the economic uh, uh, devastation upon the world there. All that the world hopes in Uh, all that the world trusts in, it's all going to come to nothing. It will all fail and fail them completely. And and what's the bottom line here in this section, in verses 9-20? through Listen to what it says in verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. This is a foretaste of what we're going to see in the first part of chapter 19. And the point, beloved, is that we will rejoice. That the people of God of all ages will rejoice with great joy at the destruction of this world and its sinful, wicked system of rebellion against our God and against His beloved Son. In fact, you notice here, we're commanded to rejoice in the final outpouring of God's wrath upon this world. Because it will be the fulfillment of all that God has promised His people in Christ. You know, this is often spoken of in the Psalms, and, it, and just like in Isaiah there about uh, Babylon, it's, it's spoken as if it's already happened. Listen to some verses Psalm, from Psalm 9, uh, verse 5. You have rebuked the nations, you have restored, destroyed the wicked, you have blotted out their name forever and ever. And then if you look at verses 15 through 18 of Psalm 9, the nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made, in the net which they have hid. Their own foot is caught, so their own wickedness comes upon them. The Lord is known by the judgment He executes. The wicked is snared in the work of His own hands. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten and the expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Now, I know that some people have asked if we can really pray such prayers from the Psalms that speak of the destruction of the wicked and of the enemies of God's people. And I believe we can because we're not praying for the destruction of their eternal souls in the lake of fire, but only that God may bring an end to their wickedness on earth. And that may mean that they die in their sin. 
but it also can mean that they come to a knowledge of the truth as it is in Jesus. And what you and I have to do really is leave their eternal destiny with our God. But we long for, we, we pray for the cause of Christ to prevail in the overthrow of, of the wicked and in the saving of sinners. That's what we're praying for. And we have just a little bit to go here in chapter 18, verses 21 through 24. And here we come to the end of Babylon. Uh, this portion of our text really reinforces uh, the thorough and irrevocable finality of Babylon's fall. When you think about it, Babylon has fallen many times down through the history of the world. There's the already and the, and the not yet. We, we've seen it time and time again as the kingdom of man kind of runs its course and eventually in God's timing it's brought to ruin. It's brought to judgment. And so it shall be at the end of the age. The judgments of God have come time and time again on this world, but they all point us to that final day when the kingdoms of this world, the nations and the peoples of this wicked world, they will be brought to nothing and they will never rise again. It's the final day. And this is the day we are looking forward to because it is the day when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ and He shall reign forever and ever. Verse 21 here is actually an echo of Jeremiah 51, verses 63 and 64. We didn't read that far in the Old Testament reading, but it echoes that same thought. But verse 21, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus, with violence, the great city of Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. So the angel takes this millstone, throws it into the sea uh, so that it's really buried in the depths of the ocean, never to rise again, never to be retrieved from the depths. And in the same way, uh, what God is saying here is that the harlot Babylon, the world's ungodly system, it will be thoroughly and completely ruined. It will fall and it will never rise again. This wicked world with all of its sin, with all of its temptations, with all of its seductions, it will perish forever. God will bring it all to an end, a violent end. And this is really in keeping with what the world deserves. It's the double. It's the exact measure of what the world deserves. And and think of this too. Just as our sins covered and atone for in Christ, are thrown into the deepest sea, never to be remembered again, so the wickedness of this world shall never return, never rise, never be seen again. And notice how this is described for us in verses 22 and 23 of the things that will no longer be heard, no longer be found in Babylon, the harlot. Five times it says that these things will not be heard or found anymore. So listen again as it speaks of the finality of the end of Babylon in the judgment of God. Verses 22 and 23. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, 
for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. It, it all comes to an end. Because the world has been deceived by Babylon the harlot. But, but let me be clear here. that The world was willingly deceived. The world wanted all of its wickedness and all of this sin. They enjoyed it. And now they reap the just and righteous wrath of God. The last verse of chapter 18 tells us why God has done this. It's not only because the world was deceived by the harlot. There's another reason why all this comes upon the world. In verse 24 we see, And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints, and of all who were slain on the earth. The blood of all God's prophets. The blood of the saints of God. The blood of Christian martyrs was found in Babylon the harlot. Remember, it said in chapter 17, verse 6, that she is drunk on the blood of the saints. And this is why it is clear once again that Babylon refers not just to some ancient kingdom that has passed away and not just to the final kingdom that is yet to come of man, but to all the Babylon kingdoms, past, present, and future. Excuse me. And what do we learn here, once again, beloved? That this pleasure mad, this arrogant, wicked world with all of its seductive luxuries and pleasures, with all of its anti-Christian philosophy and its culture, with all of its multitudes who have forsaken and forgotten our God and have lived according to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, they shall all perish. They shall all perish. The day is coming with great and terrible judgment. And there's only one way not to be numbered among them. And that's by the salvation that is found only in Jesus Christ. These visions are not to be taken literally. They are signs of the judgment to come. But the truth that they convey to us, it should be enough to make us cry out to God for mercy. To throw up ourselves upon Christ alone. God, our our God has not left us without a witness of what is coming. He has clearly and plainly told us what the future holds. And there's only one hope for all of us. It's found in those words of Jesus, those words that you know so well. In John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Christ is our only hope in this world that is coming to an end. Our only hope. So let's now prepare ourselves to draw near to our God, to our Savior through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And let's receive from our great God the grace that He has promised us in Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.